This album is dedicated to all brothers and sisters. My men and my women. And yo, it's time. Put our hands together. Hip hop, hip hop. Because we want to talk about y'all is hip hop. The stories of hip-hop, of rap music, are the stories of a million MCs who inside of them the words are coming, the words they need to make sense of the world around them. The words are witty and blunt, abstract and linear, sober and fucked up. And when we decode that torrent of words, by which I mean really listen to them with our minds and our hearts open, we can understand their world better, and ours too. It's the same world. This is Rhymes and Reasons. My name is uh, Per B. Kerr, and I call from uh, Denmark, Scandinavia. I am uh, uh, 37 years old, and I have a master's degree in American studies, which is, I suppose is why I'm uh, currently and have been for some time into uh, many things American, uh, including hip-hop, obviously. We have, we have, I grew up in the northernmost region of Denmark, which is a very small country, by the way. You can drive it from top to bottom and from, from left to right. You can drive it in like four hours, so it's a very small country. I grew up in the, in the northernmost region of the country, and this is sort of a, a rural area. There's not much in the form of urban activity going on. There is one place, however, and I'll get back to that in just a few uh, minutes. I grew up in a household without much music. We had a, a, a system to play music. We could play records. We just didn't, my parents didn't have any records to play. So <laughs> it was a, more of a decorative piece, I suppose. We had it, though, and uh, it was just silent all the time. So I didn't get much music uh, in, my, uh, uh, in my upbringing. And I suppose that much of my, my childhood was sort of musicless. In Denmark at the time, uh, and particularly in, in the rural uh, areas uh, of Denmark, we only had access to one uh, uh, television channel, which was sort of a Danish national broadcasting. And that was not very much about music, certainly not popular music. It was more about educating the masses, you know, educating the, uh, the citizenry for, uh, you know, in, in notions of high culture and, uh, and civic duty and whatnot. I had a neighbor growing up, and he was into 80s pop um, and he gave me a couple of mixtapes, you know, your Duran Duran, your uh, Erasure, your, you know, uh, aha Norwegian uh, pop sensation, I suppose. But it didn't really resonate with me, so I just basically tried and, and, and see if I could play it sometimes in, in the hope of perhaps sometimes getting to kiss a girl. But yeah, that didn't happen for, for quite a lot of years after that. This uh, musicless-ness basically uh, sort of turned around when I was, uh, I guess, 
13 or 14 years old, at least uh, around the period of 1988. At this time, I was uh, a teenage boy. I, I'm not exactly sure how old I was. Uh, but at that particular time, I, I ventured into the one sort of urban spot that we have, that we had in, in the northernmost region of Denmark. And I went in there to sort of to get fitted for, uh, for young adulthood, I guess. I had to pick up some clothes. Uh, I wanted to pick up some music. I ventured into... Uh, a record store and standing there sort of looking at all the possibilities at hand that, that was very very difficult for someone who grew up basically without music but there was one album cover that sort of spoke to me for some odd reason an album cover you know that was the back when it was lp so they had a, a little more room to to yell at me right uh this, this sort of big shiny cover the one that really spoke to me and I, it was the only one that i came home with no clothes no nothing I just came home with one record and um, uh, that was uh, um, run dmc's uh, uh tougher than leather it was brand new you know, for some odd reason, because I was a, you know, a fairly awkward uh, rural child, obviously pitch white and whatnot. But this album cover just spoke to me, and uh, I bought it and I brought it home. And I, I remember unwrapping this. It was the first album, basically, or the first record I uh, had ever held. And I just unwrapped it and picked out this big shiny disc and put it on our system. We had the record player, right? <laughs> but no, this music just you know, blew my face off. This is also the, the first uh, song that I'm uh, going to share with everybody is, is Run DMC's uh, Run's House. I guess that in hindsight, it must have been something around about the album cover looking so completely different. It's sort of like the antithesis of, of my existence. It was obviously decidedly urban, right? Three uh, three guys uh, uh, posing on the album was, uh, you know, they had this look on them. It was like a grab onto something attitude, right? In its differentness, it just spoke to me. We had at this time uh, a few... Danish acts that had caught on to this. More in hindsight, I, I became familiar with people that sounded a little like this. Right, one group called Rockers by Choice. They grew out of uh, a graffiti environment, so to a certain extent, they took part in uh, the culture. But it was very rudimentary sort of hip hop. So only in hindsight, basically, was I familiar with with, with this music form. When the song began, you have Run obviously opening the track, and it's very sort of boastful and it's very aggressive. Even before Run comes on, the music sort of indicates that you better hold on to something. And this was obviously something that I tried to do, but, but failed at. I mean, you know, I was just completely blown away. It opened this whole world to me. In order to tell the story of how I got involved in this, Run's house with its aggressive sound and, and its aggressive vocals just seemed like the obvious choice. I, I don't think it could have been any other choice, basically.
Run DMC is interesting for many other reasons besides it opening my world to this particular music form. It has its own merits in, in many different ways. The music of, of, I suppose, almost all of Run DMCs is, is basically non-existent, right? They operate with, with this drum beat. They don't even have a bass track. It's very naked compared to if you hear Grandmaster Flash or you hear a Sugar Hill Gang or whatever. It's very funky, and much of hip-hop was before then, I obviously found out later. But it's this very naked, sort of gritty and totally aggressive form of music that it explains, in a sense, that in order for hip-hop music to be, to be efficient or to, to work well, it doesn't really need a great deal of, uh, of ambient music. It just needs a drum that kicks and uh, some dope lyrics. Years ago, a friend of mine asked me to say some MC rhyme. So I said this rhyme I'm about to say. The rhyme was there, but then it went this way. Took a test to become an MC. And Orange Cut became amazed at me. So Larry put me inside. He got to lack. The show drove off and we never came back. Dave cut the record down to the bone. And now they got me rocking on the microphone. And then we're talking autographs and tears and laughs. Champagne, caviar, and bubble bath. You see, uh, that's the life of uh, that I lead. And you suck at MC, it's who I be. So take it that and move back. Catch a heart attack because there's nothing in the world that runs a level like a cold chill at a party in the B-Boy stand. My folks, I, I mean, the music has never really meant anything to them, so they didn't care one way or the other. But to me, it was like, it was this in a sense, told the story of, of a world so much different from my own. It was the first time that I sort of manifested myself as, I suppose, uh, something as, as unsophisticated as a consumer, right? But it was also uh, just being drawn to this uh, aggression, in a sense. I was a sort of an awkward young kid, and, and this music sort of... It kind of showed me that there was more to it than just being a... <laughs> this little freckled weirdo, right? There was a whole different world out there, one that I could partake in. And the blown awayness, if you will, was sort of like jaw-dropping and just trying to figure out what, what on earth was going on. And, and at this time, my, my English skills were obviously rudimentary at best. I was trying to work out what is it that these guys are saying and that took me a great deal of time and I, I'm sure that I don't recall specifically the kind of words that I sort of rapped along to but I'm, I'm quite sure that, that they were uh, uh, slightly off inherited a pair of, of his daddy's spectacles, his glasses, and they were uh, these big rimmed sort of dark glasses. And I tried those on and I even wore them outside, but I, I couldn't see a damn thing. But I tried to emulate the style. I, I tried to, particularly, I tried to emulate the attitude, right? If you picture the album cover, you have... Uh, I think it's Run who stands, uh, you know, he cocks his head back as he, as he stares directly into the camera. In the same sort of sense, I would try and emulate that particular attitude of cocking my head back and trying to emulate that particular, uh, not necessarily style of dress, because that was completely un impossible to get at in Denmark. I, I got the Adidas, you know, but, but who didn't? <laughs> 
the black Adidas jackets, the fedoras, the, you know, those soft type of fedora hats they, that they wore, those are completely impossible to get at. And daddy's glasses, that didn't work at all. community basically consisted of an, of an intersection at which five to ten houses were scattered in each direction. I spent uh, the first 15 years of my life in, in that particular intersection, just two very small roads crossing around this particular intersection. I don't even know if it's called an intersection, but just two roads crossing, basically. A couple of houses in each direction, five, ten houses in each direction. Three people at my age, roughly. So... At the same time that it was very, very secure, not a lot of, a lot of crime going on in, in this community. It was also one of those types of communities where everybody knows everybody and you had better behave, right? There was not much of youth rebellion or what didn't really exist because everybody knew everybody. And the second that you sort of stepped out of line, you would be almost sure to be, to be told this is inappropriate behavior or whatnot. So it's very, very small. And from that, there was basically only one way to go, and that was to sort of become urban because there was no opportunities there. There's no school, there's no uh, jobs, and there was not even a store. You had to go to the next town to buy a, a pint of milk or whatever. So you had to go, basically. There was no way of, of containing anything along the lines of, of youth. And obviously, once I had developed a taste for the more urban the strains of the community just became tighter and tighter. So I had to go. The city where I live now is the second largest city in, in Denmark. It has uh, 250,000 residents. So it never really became decidedly urban in the extent that you know a group like Run DMC would sort of tell us. Perhaps it's more like Hollis, Queens, right, <laughs> where, where these guys come from. But certainly not the story that they tell on their songs. But it busied my mind with things that were internal rather than things that were external. Denmark was, uh, and certainly the community that I grew up in, was a complete white hegemony. Still is to a great extent. We have, obviously, uh, immigration now, and, and it becomes more and more common. But, but still we're dealing with, we're talking about some uh, perhaps 10% of the population now is of ethnically different descent than Danish. And 
in a good way, it, it really didn't register. But it was different. I could see, obviously, that it was different. These guys were, uh, you know, African-Americans. I, I, I could see that they were different. But it didn't resonate with me as differentness in a certain sense. And that obviously makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. But there was no uh, mental baggage to follow along with this differentness. I didn't have any associations to potential friction between uh, people of, of different color and whatnot. I just consumed hip-hop, and I was not aware of, uh, nor did I reflect in any way, shape, or form on some of the aspects that obviously go along with a more uh, reflected and, and intellectually aware access to, uh, to this particular music form. In Denmark now, we have the same sort of tensions that America has had and I, I suppose to a certain extent still dabble with depending on who you ask. It's a large problem or a small problem or a non-problem or whatever. But at the time, because Denmark was so overwhelmingly white, it didn't register as being different in any way except different. Now here we go, jumping science, jumping it all over. Like bumping around the town like when you're driving a Range Rover. Expanding the It was a niche music at this time in, in Denmark, in the same sort of way that perhaps before Run DMC, it was more of a niche music in the US uh, than, than it was after Run DMC. At any rate, the selection that we had to choose from was at best limited. Uh, there was no way we could get at uh, much of what was likely available to American consumers at the time. But I did manage to, I got hold of Beastie Boys. I even tried Fat Boys on for... <laughs> Uh, nice. Do you recall those uh, the big guys with the uh, with the uh, chubby checker rendition? <laughs> and I got various uh, forms of music, various uh, forms of hip hop music, and I was fairly deep into uh, into the Beastie Boys. It was uh, you know party music at the time. I was a young man. I sort of shopped around in the hip-hop genre until I came across, I suppose it must have been in the early 90s, I came across NWA, and, and that sort of laid down a new line of, of taste for me. So there was not a direct leap from one to the other, but as I came of age and, and you know was trying to express myself as an individual, I came across much of, uh, of, of the more edgy uh, types of music we might call, uh, I suppose, uh, call it Gangster rap or whatever. Nigga, you know well. Nocturnal. I can see you watching, waiting in my garden, in my bushes plotting, peeping times at my home, looking in my window. Once upon a time in the projects, yo, there lived a nigga named Nocturno, America's most wanted for show. In a black low low with tinted windows, I'm just cruising down the street in my six fault. The song is Peeping Tom and it's Nocturnal from his uh, 2004 album, uh, The Way I Am. It's a marvelous song in, in, in many ways. It has a great deal of, uh, of interesting aspects. Uh, particularly from uh, sort of a, a hip-hop critic point of view or uh, hip-hopology point of view. 
this is one of those songs that has so many layers. It communicates to the listener in, in a multitude of levels. You can basically listen to it as a very experienced hip-hop music listener and get something out of it. And you can listen to it completely uh, wet behind the ears hip-hop listener and get a different experience. We have the artist himself, in this particular case, uh, Nocturnal, communicating with, uh, with the genre's own past. I suppose that's also why he calls his song uh, Peepin' Tom, and he peeps down into the history of uh, of his own genre at the same time that he conversates with, with the listener. When you hear the song, at first step, in particularly if you're a, a relatively novel listener of hip-hop music, perhaps you're a, a, a novice to the genre as such, the lyrics seem uh, a little messed up. They, they don't necessarily make a great deal of sense in that it's difficult to sort of trace a very clean-cut narration throughout. So, in a sense, if you are completely novel at this, you might have one experience, namely that, well, this is a dope beat, it has uh, good music, and and the the artist sounds uh, interesting. He has a very interesting voice nocturnal. He has this uh, sort of West Coast drawl type of, of deal that we might recognize from artists like Snoop Dogg or, or others that we recognize as being distinctly West Coast. He has this drawl to his voice. At the same time, it's, it's relatively high-pitched, so it's an interesting voice at any rate. And that might be it. A dope beat, an interesting lyricist, and a weird story. Yet, if you are a little more familiar with the idea, or if you're a little more familiar with the genre, you might be able to pick up various references. The reason why I chose this song is because this this is a song that I came across after I was sort of intellectually aware and uh, after I had begun uh, studying at university. So it's a song that basically, it tickles my intellect, if you will. And it's a story that also tickles my uh, history with hip-hop music because it lets me be part in the sense that that he references all these snippets and song titles from other uh, West Coast acts. He does that throughout the song. And depending on what level you listen at, what your experience with the genre, it just uh, it, uh, it can resonate tremendously, or it can resonate a little less. But but that's what's so uh, so freaking interesting about this particular song, and is that while he is telling this weird story, he is communicating in two different frames. He's communicating with with himself, with the history of it, of his genre. And at the same time, he's communicating with me. And I would listen at, at whatever level I'm capable of, and, and the guy next to me might listen to, uh, listen to it uh, on another level and might pick up more references or might pick up less references or whatever. But that's what makes it very, very interesting. And it has the dopey rap. So it also makes it uh, pleasurable to the ear. Right? 
them smoking Straight west coast and bitches putting ass in motion Pussy popping, sex promoting Got a cup, raise it up, got a blunt Raise it up, that's your bitch, and he's nuts really, I don't give a fuck All I really know is your hoe wants to be with me And she ain't playing in what I'm saying She creeps with me And sleeps between the sheets for some odd reason, but I mean, he wrote, he co-wrote on uh, on much of Dr. Dre's very, very successful songs, right? And he is tremendously interesting, but for some odd reason, it just never really happened for him. But the point is that it was difficult, I think, around uh, the mid-90s when uh, there was this whole East Coast, West Coast thing going on that I suppose in hindsight was more of a media thing than it was really a, a hip-hop thing. I'm not exactly sure how that goes or, or how that story is told nowadays. But at the time, I just thought that it was tremendously interesting. And for some odd reason, I always figured that that the sound, you know, the feel of traditional West Coast music, it, it appealed to me more. Perhaps the appeal came because I came across N.W.A. in a, in a period when I was less aware of much of, if you were to be completely straightforward, perhaps what was going on in the East Coast at the time was more reflected. But as a young man, completely unaware of much of the potential trouble that uh, that came along with the whole gang deal was just, a, it was just fun and games to a, a young man in Denmark who, who didn't have any kind of experience, uh, nor, did, nor did Danish society at the time had, have any kind of experience with street gangs or, and violence in any way, shape or form that even resembled some of what's going on on these records and certainly what was going on on the streets of, uh, of Los Angeles at the time. <laughs> Wake up, jumped out my bed. I'm in a two-man cell with my homie little half dead. Murder was the case that they gave me. Dear God, I wonder, can you save me? I'm only 18, so I'm a young buck. It's a ride if I don't scrap, I'm getting stuck. But that's the life of a G, I guess. Essays way deep, shank doing the chest. Best run, cause brothers is dropping quicker. Uh, too late, damn. Down goes another nigga. Bouncing off the walls. But I just fell in love with the sound and the feel of particularly, I suppose, I, I kind of fell for Dr. Dre's sound universe. He has a different attitude towards production than much of what was available from the East Coast at the time. I've heard, heard him say that he thought that why shouldn't a hip-hop album sound as clean as a Michael Jackson album? And that certainly appeals to me, because I think that, you know, why shouldn't it? It doesn't have to be gritty to be good, right? I sort of fell for his form of production at the, after N.W.A. And in the wake of this, Snoop Doggy Dogg and Tupac, that was just very appealing to me. Snoop, with this completely laid-back sort of attitude, he spoke to me tremendously, because uh, I've always been a laid-back kind of guy. The sound of it, the feel of it, more than the lyr uh, lyrical content, was uh, very appealing. And I suppose that sort of stuck. But it ain't no thing to me. Cause now I'm what they call a low dash on the The little homies from the hood with grip. All the ones I get with, cause I'm down the set trip. Nigga, I'm bigger than you, so what you wanna do? Didn't know we had a 22. Straight sitting behind his back. I grabbed his pockets, and then I heard six caps. I fell to the ground with blood on my hands. I didn't understand how a nigga so young could bust a cap. I used to be the same way back. 
I guess that's what I get for what? For trying to jack the little homies for they grip. But after 1996 and 7, when the whole East Coast, West Coast blew up and Tupac was killed and, and, and Biggie was killed, yeah, it was very, very difficult to feel passionate about hip-hop music. Not because I was I was let down by this or by this horrible tragedy of, of the violence, but because I suppose that much of what came after was very careful. There was a period of, of reflection where you had uh, Puff Daddy and you had Maze, and, and those were the kind of, of people that were popular in, in the aftermath of this. And I didn't find that particularly interesting. And I'm not sure that I could say that I fell out of love with hip-hop. That was obviously pushing it. But after 96, there was a pause, I suppose. There was a pause in, in my affiliation with it. I had been relatively unreflected and, and was going on feel. This feels good. And, and that had worked extremely well. At the same time as, as going on the feel was, uh, was okay. It was, also, uh, it was not, also not enough, the whole feel. So when I started on my intellectual path towards awakening, let's call it that, right? It became important to me to to sort of use this to sort of dive into this genre in a, in a different way, because I guess of two things. One is that I have always been intellectually. I've always been there has to be a carrot for some odd reason. I guess I'm a typical male in that in that aspect. There has to be a carrot for me to commit to something completely. And and that carrot in many of those troubling times when you begin university, there are all, all these various chips that you have to, to sort of uh, knock off. You have to chip off the rough edges. And certainly I did have to chip off the rough edges. And it sort of became a, a, an opportunity for me to dive into this genre for that particular purpose. It was a, an opportunity to get to know more to you know, also feel with my mind rather than just feeling with the, you know, my gut. Separate the weak from the opposite. Leap hard to creep them Brooklyn streets. It's on, nigga. Fuck all that bickering beef. I can hear sweat trickling down your cheek. Your heartbeat sound like Sasquatch feet. Thundering, shaking the concrete. I had an assignment on American culture, and it was one of those do whatever kind of assignments. So I sort of say, well, you know, I'll go down that direction. I think I did a paper on. Uh, the East Coast, West Coast deal. And so it became obvious fairly quickly there was a great amount of material to be investigated in this particular genre. And there was a great deal of very interesting people doing that particular research before me. So you know, it was sort of a just this odd thing, I guess, this chance meeting of, of various things. I did an assignment on uh, on Eminem also, and then I wanted to do my master's thesis when that time came. I wanted to do that on hip-hop. It was sort of an, an exhaustive type of, uh, of research. And that was uh, an interesting thing because the department where I studied said, uh, no can do. <laughs> 
that won't work. You know, you can do your little papers on uh, this, that, and the other, but doing a master's thesis on hip-hop is not an option. And I was obviously uh, taken aback, and I thought that that's a relatively arrogant uh, disposition to take in that it seemed obvious from what you could uh, read in books and what you could read in, in, in papers that, that people were devoting extraordinary amount of, uh, amounts of time to, to investigating this, uh, this genre and, and the whole uh, cultural background. There was a, a, a lot of debate going on about whether or not uh, it was an, an African-American form or if it was an Afro-Atlantic form, whether it had to do with uh, the diaspora of, of Africans or it had to do with uh, the United States. So uh, it seemed to me funny that, uh, that that would be the position that people would take. It ended up being uh, I had to go outside my department to get someone to okay this. So I ended up doing uh, my master's thesis on, uh, on hip-hop music. So if there's a will, there's a way, I guess. I am the hip-hop head in, in, in my circle of friends. It has appealed moderately to some of my friends, but that has been more like, uh, oh, this is a, a cool track, or this is a cool track. But mostly, uh, many of the friends that I do share uh, my life with, uh, friends' friends, those are uh, rock and rollers. They are all, basically, rock and rollers and pop fiends or whatever. At a certain time, uh, we sort of collaborated, in a sense, or we came together uh, around Rage Against the Machine. That might make ring bells with you. In my perspective, Rage Against the Machine is hip-hop music, and in their perspective, it is rock music. We've had those discussions, but they rarely lead anywhere, except they just can't see it, and I just can't see it. But every now and then, you know, we find something that we can share, and Rage Against the Machine was one of them. In a sense, in my perspective at least, Rage Against the Machine has um, both the subject matter and the feel and the sound of hip-hop. And in their eyes, and in their ears more specifically, it has the feel and sound of rock music. So that's an interesting uh, synthesis, I guess, of two uh, musical aesthetics. at the time and I came here to chase an MC uh, I guess pipe dream basically but then stayed behind to pursue uh, education I had left the very very small community and moved to uh, to one that was a little larger still in the northernmost region of, of the country and then there I gotten in, in contact with various people that together we could form something that could resemble uh, a group of musicians that played various instruments and that had the use of an MC and 
in in the period where, uh, as I talked about, where there was a synthesis around the hip hop aesthetic and the and the rock aesthetic, where with these uh, group of friends that I still hold dear, where they would sort of put songs together and and I was I would put rhymes together, I suppose to a certain extent in uh, the kind of uh, telling goofy stories was the way that that it went to begin with. It was more edgy and a little angrier, I suppose. But towards the end, it was uh, it was about fun and games, and it was about telling goofy stories. But the whole notion of of, of storytelling is obviously something that that I took from hip hop. Uh, in that, is there any other genre that really tells stories better than uh, than this particular than the one we're talking about now? I I don't think there is. So uh, the approach that I used was one that I uh, that I carried with me from hip hop. Didn't go anywhere, but it was fun to to put words together and, uh, and develop some skills at least to be able to, to tell these stories in a rhythmically uh, and uh, vocally interesting way. The Eminem Show, 2002, I think, and the song uh, "White America" about Eminem's position in in hip hop, in a sense, his position in uh, uh, ethnical terms. It's a very interesting song in that it it tells the story about Eminem being this guy who is uh, acutely aware of his differentness. It's a funny thing. This is his third album, I think, where we have been introduced to throughout these three albums, being introduced to different characters, different M&Ms, if you will. The first was Slim Shady, these very goofy, sort of funny storytelling uh, songs, and the other being uh, uh, Marshall Mathers. To a certain extent, that's his, his name and whatnot. And it was a much, much more edgy, much more in your face. And then this, where he, he reflects on his position as he has introduced himself into the hip-hop scene. He reflects on his position as being uh, other, in a sense, because it is, I suppose, many agree that it, this is an African-American music. That means that he is other, but he is not other. If you compare Eminem with other white rappers, he's the only one who has gotten love from a whole variety, if not the entire hip-hop music. He's gotten love from all the peers, right? And that, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty amazing. Perry says that white acts who become these objects of adulation to the people who listen to hip-hop music, and I suppose also the people who partake in it, those would typically be the ones that, that owe their love to, in a sense, embracing the aesthetics and also the social, political location of hip-hop that is of blackness, in a sense.
That's her position. And they share their space with what she calls black bodies. That means representatives of the African-American community. You have Vanilla Ice, for instance, the laughing stock of, I guess, the whole music business, right? His association with black ethnicity was exposed as fraud, right? That's not the case for Eminem. He has this association with D12, for instance. He's known those guys for, for several years. He always approximates himself to blackness at the expense of whiteness. He always makes fun of representatives of, of white culture, doesn't he? Elvis, right? He pokes fun at Elvis. He pokes fun at Christopher Reeves. I mean, it's, it's Superman. It's, it's like a, a sacrilege. Uh, he pokes fun at uh, Michael J. Fox or whoever. He pokes fun at white culture. Uh, he also pokes fun at other white acts, not least of all, obviously, Vanilla Ice. And at the same time, lyrically, he approximates himself to black acts. There's this one track, what is it called? Say What You Say. It's also on, uh, on uh, the Eminem show, where he calls himself White Pac. Encore, where he, he, say, he says something along the lines of, uh, uh, as long as whatever happens when he uh, hit the heavenly gates, he'll be cool beside JC, right? He sort of approximates his own character to characters of African-American descent. And then on this White America track, he, he sort of systematically confronts himself and his position in hip-hop as, I suppose, he recognizes hip-hop as being a, an African-American genre in which he claims some form of stake, but he does it at the expense of his own fighting. consumer uh, he appeals to many white purchases uh, or what do you call it uh, consumers of of hip-hop but that appeal then becomes uh, too many a political problem if that makes sense he talks about how he's all of a sudden a problem in congress right he talks about tipper gore and and uh, miss cheney but he he sort of says well screw you guys you are not representatives of me I do not recognize you as being representatives. Don't tell me what to say, in a sense. And what is, I suppose, the most interesting thing that he says is, uh, in the hook, he says something along the lines of, white America, I could be one of your kids. That particular auxiliary verb, could, is sort of a, I could be, but I'm not necessarily one of your kids. If you go about analyzing this from a grammatical viewpoint, he's sort of saying, well, you know, I might be white America, but I might not be in a sense that I don't recognize myself as necessarily being an inhabitant of this particular culture or of that particular culture. He's obviously not saying that he is other than white, but he also says that I'm also not white America. I'm hip hop America. 
Bob's 30 and still lives with his mom. He don't got a job. His Bob sits at home and smokes pot. But his 12-year-old brother looks up to him an awful lot. And Bob likes to hang out at the local waffle spot and wait in the parking lot. The waitress is off the clock. When it's late in the lot, it's dark and fake like he walks his dog. Drag him in the woods and go straight to the chopping block. And even if they escaped and they got the cops, the ladies would all be so afraid they would drop the charge. To one night, Stacy went off the job. When she felt someone grab her whole face and said, knock the off. Stacy knew it was Bob and said, knock it off. But Bob wouldn't knock it off because he's crazy and off his rocker. Crazy good as Slim Shady is off the locker. You couldn't even take him to Dre's to get Bob a doctor. He grabbed Stacy by the leg as he chopped it off. And dropped him off in the lake for the cops to punch. But ever since the day Stacy went off the one, they never found her. And Bob still hangs at the Waffle Diner. And that's the story of Bob and his marijuana and what it might do to you. So see if the squirrel's going to his past. Many of the stories that you tell, they're so out there, particularly on the first album. The, the Slim Shady LP was the first one I got. And what was interesting in my mind on that particular album was that uh, he told so whacked out stories <laughs> and that he did it so eloquently. He is an astonishing MC. But later on, when he begins to take his own kind into consideration his own his own position inside this uh, genre it becomes obviously uh, different on a whole uh, another level to uh, people like myself because i am a white guy listening to uh, to hip hop which is predominantly a genre uh, made by african americans and every time i uh, listen to a song that takes racial uh, or ethnic ideas into consideration i have to sort it in a sense. You know, I can't just go around on the streets rapping along with Dr. Dre or 50 Cent or Nocturnal, right? Because there's certain things that it would be thought of as as being uh, slightly problematic that I run around and rap along to, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Oh, for sure. Uh-uh. No. It's a special right here. What? 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 Yeah. to the boogie, baby. Having someone who is himself in that particular, who takes up that issue, is obviously something that resonates with me, because he deals with the same. There was the whole baggage about this uh, ex-girlfriend and that secret song, and, you know, that whole controversy. And every time that Eminem makes a song, or every time that someone appears on his songs, He has to take himself into consideration. He can't just say, uh, he can say somehow outlandish things, right? But he can't say everything. And that became uh, all too evident with the whole secret song. song. And and he has to himself, he has to, to think along those lines. So he, from the inside, deals with the same aspects that I deal with from the outside, if that makes sense. Not the same same, right? But there's certain comparable aspects that I, as uh, as a white fan of predominantly African-American hip-hop, must bear in mind. The great white American hope then hooked up with the king of the motherfucking West Coast, baby. And you don't really want to fuck with me. Only nigga that I trust is me. Fuck around and make me buzz this i took a temporary position and lo and behold that was the right thing for me to do uh, so i i had the chance to stay on but it wasn't like i must be an educator 
before I tried it at least. But after my master's degree, uh, I struggled through uh, the usual spell of unemployment, as as all uh, freshly ed- educated people do, right? Relatively soon, I came into uh, I became employed. The thing is that I had all this acquired uh, knowledge about something that appeals tremendously to young people. It made good sense for me to pass some of it along. I can't teach hip-hop from morning to afternoon in the school that I teach and in, in, in the preparatory program in which I teach. That can't really happen. But every now and then I can drop in something when we talk about American culture and we talk about in Danish schools, at least that seems to be the case for mine, that there are uh, many of those kids that can't figure out why can't I say this, that, or the other, because all the rappers do. That opens up windows to have tremendously interesting uh, conversations about history, about culture, and about how language is not just words, but it's also meaning, and all the history bound up in those particular words, and they just string together to form uh, language. I just want you all to notice me and people to see that somewhere deep down is a decent human being in me. It just can't be found. So the reason you've been seeing this me is because this is me now. The recent dude is being this me. So when you see me dressing up like a nerd on TV or heard the CD using the fag word so freely, it's just me being me. Here, want me to tone it down? Suck my fucking dick, you faggot. You happy now? Look at it. I start some trouble everywhere that I go. Ask the bouncers in the club cause they know. Cause they know. I start some shit that throw me out the back door. The back door. Come back and shoot the club up with a fofo. You don't really wanna fuck with me. Only nigga that I trust is me. Fuck around and make me bust this Once Danish national broadcasting stopped being all about educating the citizenry, it embraced more uh, thoroughly popular music. And uh, certainly now, it is evident that a great deal of what sells best in this country is uh, is hip hop music. When I discovered this, I'm not exactly sure. But even at the time when I first ran into Run DMC, there were those out there. But it wasn't a massive movement in any way, shape, or form. Now, I suppose it is. You have a tremendous amount of uh, of people listening to this uh, uh, music and also partaking in in some of, of the stories that the music tells. And I'm not sure whether the music appeals to them because they share in, in the story. And I'm talking about underprivileged youth who might or might not uh, engage in uh, in conduct on becoming citizens, <laughs> if you will, dabbling in, in criminal activity and whatnot. And I'm not sure whether they partake in the music because they share the sentiments or whether they share the sentiments because they listen to the music. And I suppose that's perhaps a, an interesting thought to entertain. There are a lot of kids leading lives that would be comparable to some of uh, the stories on the more hoodlum type of stories that are so widespread in hip-hop. But whether it's the one way around or it's the other way around, I'm not sure. <laughs>
I don't own a great deal of records, Danish hip hop records. I own a couple, and I follow with interest. When we have there is this uh, an annual thing where where we uh, have a freestyle MC tournament. That is sort of nationwide for amateur and upcoming uh, MCs, and I follow that with keen interest. But the Danish music business does not distribute very much music. We are five million people, and that means likely the range of people being interested in buying it. And for a record company to to be at least moderately sure of getting a return on uh, their input in producing a record they have to be sure that it's very 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 sure that it will be popular that means that as far as as danish hip-hop albums coming out it's four or five a year perhaps relatively few of those will become commercially successful there are those safe bets out there uh, we have a guy called loc he has uh, Irish heritage. He, his name is Liam O'Connor, hence the LOC. He he always sells a, a lot of albums. He always sells a lot of records, and he's a he's a very talented guy. As a, a more youthful MC, I think he's released five albums now, if, if not six. In his youthful times, he was the Danish equivalent of a gangster rapper. Now he's a much more reflected and obviously older guy. <laughs> And he has a lot on his mind. He's very interesting. He has the style and delivery of your typical West Coast MC. That makes him uh, obviously appealing to a guy like me who has uh, an interest in and a proclivity for West Coast hip-hop. There's another another group of MCs called Mouth de Coin, which sounds oddly um, Dutch, but they're not. They're Danish. They're tremendously skillful MCs, and they make weird rap lyrics that tell odd stories and they have a style of delivery that is uh, it's close to Eminem where you sort of uh, divide the rhymes between various lines in the rhyme structure and that makes it also an interesting group but other than that it's very rare that we get hip-hop music that is uh, novel YouTube plays an odd insignificant role in Danish hip-hop in that MCs can distribute their own they can sort of circumvent the whole uh, record company notion. Og geologi gør det så unikt For når vi rammer om at bruge gaden med endnu en plade Kravler hele nabolaget og på taget for at suge snad Tybolle dig, flækker din ovn, lægger din sovn ned og smækker din fjæs med en morgenfød Som ild og brænd, brænder ild og brænd Why is that hip-hop matters? Well, hip-hop matters because it provides a sort of construct in which it's okay to be both boastful and humble Where it's okay to be both greedy and generous Where it's okay to both degrade and elevate where it's okay to, to be brutal and to be merciful. It matters because it provides us stories of life and death, of loss and gain, and of sacrifice. It matters because it tells stories of grave injustice and resilient overcoming. Hip-hop matters because it shows us that people who may seem vastly different from us are basically the same, and by the same token that two peas in a pot can be very, very different, as different as night and day. Hip-hop at its core, matters because it inspires us to cock our heads back and say, well, come on, life, 
That's why hip hop matters in my universe. Stor mystik, vi moser hele byen med en ny teknik.